Well, I think art is that which we are sort of compelled to do. You know? Art is whatever you need it to be. Art is part of human nature. Art is a thing we can't explain with words. Art is an invitation. Art is an expression of our human nature. Art is political. Art is resistance. Art is compulsory catharsis. Art is creative imagination. Art is intangible. Art is expressing one's soul. Art is the point. Art is the part is the point. Art 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 is the point. Thanks for tuning in to KWVA News, Arts and Culture. You're listening to University of Oregon's one and only campus radio station, KWVA Eugene, 88 Point Wonderful. Today, we have a rerun of International Perspectives from last year. Don't go anywhere. This is Arts and Culture. Hello, and thank you for listening to International Perspectives. I'm Lily Cox-Gall, and we're also here with Leila Kanan, and we're also with Iago Boychuki. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. So Iago is from Brazil, and first of all, can you tell us about where you're from? Sure. So I grew up in the countryside of the state of Sao Paulo, which is one of the most populated cities in Brazil, and where is the largest city in South America, Sao Paulo, which is also a city and a state. Awesome. And can you kind of tell us about the culture there? Well, sure. So I actually never understood what it meant to be a Brazilian until I left it. So growing up in Brazil, you know, a big country, I never really understood what culture meant. But once I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. for the first time in 2011, that was a turning point in my life because for the first time I could see, wow, there are other ways of living your life, you know. You can eat bacon and <laughs> eggs for breakfast, and it's fine. <laughs> what did you eat for breakfast there? Um, well, you, coffee and milk is a big thing with bread and butter. That's super simple, but... No jam or anything? No, there were actually, I never had jam before. Really? <laughs> or peanut butter. <laughs> Those things were just too weird. But um, yeah, so I never really understood that there were other ways of living until I left Brazil. So uh, I'm grateful now because I kind of can see two different worlds and I realize that there isn't you know, right or wrong anymore. And then the, the divisions we have in our, in our minds are just kind of like fuzzy and, and hard to define. Right. Do you have like a small little story that you can think of that kind of shows what it was like growing up in Brazil? Let me think, it's a hard question. <laughs> growing up in the countryside was so interesting because back then there was no internet. I didn't have a computer at home until I was 12 years old. So my childhood memories pretty much come from the fact that I was, you know, like playing outside, playing ball outside, like football, volleyball, all the all the things that a child do outside. And it was great. Um, I remember coming home with a lot of bruises all over <laughs> my body sometimes. And and me and my friends, we, we used to, I don't know how to say in English, but like when you chase a child in the street, like. Like tag? Yeah, but we, we would call that like police and something else. <laughs> so it was fun. Um, yeah, I grew up like in the countryside, as I said, so there were green all over, you know, trees and things like that. So I think that's, even though my family now lives in Sao Paulo, I, my, my childhood, my best memories as a child comes from, you know, me playing in the countryside. Do you like to do a lot of outdoor activities in Oregon? Um, so not as much as people here, yeah. I think, because um, the, the, I mean, the weather is just very different. So 
but I, but I love it. I love the fact that we can see mountains here. And I had never seen a mountain back in Brazil because there are no mountains in Brazil. There are hills, but no mountains. So uh, it was, well, I would, one of my first memories from Oregon, I was flying to Oregon and I saw the Mount Hood mm -hmm. and I was just like, wow, there's a mountain up there. <laughs> and I was taking photos and it was so exciting. So what brought you to Oregon? It's a long story, but I'll try to summarize. So back in 2011, I was studying uh, business. Uh, it's kind of like uh, not like an, a degree with the high school program. And that school offered a statewide scholarship to select about 25 students from, from the state of Sao Paulo to come to the U.S. And I applied and I got it. And a few months later, I came to the U.S. for the first time, and I couldn't speak English. <laughs> I knew just a few sentences. It was hard. I remember using Google, you know, Google Translator to apply, you know, to visa and passport and all that. And I lived with a family up in Portland for a month, and that month, like, changed my life completely back in 2011 because, as I said before, it was the first time that I could realize, oh, you know, things I, I would only see on TV, I, I could experience that in real life. And that was like an outstanding moment for me. Um, then I returned to Brazil after that, after that month. And I was so confused because I enjoyed so much living abroad. I could find different pieces of myself that I had never thought existed before. But I had just, you know, to move on and continue my life back home. And back then, it was really hard because my family was going through a lot of problems financially because of the crisis that, you know, that started in Brazil back in 2008 and lasted in 2011, 2010. So we had to move to the city of Sao Paulo because my dad was unemployed for a, for a moment. And that transition was really hard, you know, for us. We spent most of our life in the countryside, so moving to the largest city in Brazil it was not easy. Super overwhelming. I super bet. overwhelming, yeah. uh, super expensive, and we did not have a lot of connections, so it was really tough. But at the same time, education was something that I, I know my family always valued and something that I, I was always persistent to, to pursue. And then I got into university, so it was a big moment. Everyone was so happy. I got into the University of Sao Paulo, which is like you know the best university in Latin America. And it was like, I'm the first one to go to college. So that was like a big moment for us. But after three months in college, I realized that I had chosen the wrong major. And unlike in the US, when you go to college in Brazil, you have to pick your major before you even start, which is really difficult because you don't know who, I didn't know who I was. You I didn't have no know. idea what you're gonna do. Exactly. Yeah. And so I started studying economics. Uh, no, before that, I started studying physics, actually, because I wanted to be an astronomer. I was fascinated. I had a wonderful science teacher in high school, and that you know motivated me. But then after three months or less than that, studying physics, I realized that it was not for me. Then I quit college. And then there was a hard transition because I was like, what am I going to do with my life now? I have to wait a year again. Then during that year, I remember watching TV about a student from a favela, which is like slum in Brazil, who got accepted into Harvard. And I got to know about her story, and I realized that I had met her actually uh, a few years be uh, before that that year in a in, in a program. So back in Brazil, I participated in a lot of um, like learning Olympiads that happen in high school. So for example, astronomy Olympiad, like mathematics and all that. And I was really into astronomy before, as I said. So I got to meet this person who got into Harvard a few years later, and I saw her again on TV, and I was so like. Wow, I, you know, like she made it, and how, how, you know, like, 
if you come from like a country, a poor country, it's like, wow, no one can get into Harvard unless you come from a super powerful family. Then I, I got to know that she had accepted into a program that the U.S. Department of State would offer funding to low-income students in Brazil to apply to universities. So I got that scholarship a few months later. And I remember it was so tough because even though I know I could communicate in English, my English was not perfect at all. And even, you know, even knowing that, I applied anyway and I got it. Like, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> it was tough, you know, reading my application like hundreds of times to make sure that there were no grammar mistakes. And then the scholarship allowed me to take the SATs, all the exams necessary to apply. And two years later, I came to the U.S. What under, year is that? And that was in 2014. Yeah, when I came. So after three years after I had first come to the U.S., and then I returned this time, but as a University of Oregon student. And then that was a completely different experience because I was older, more mature. I understood more about the world. And it was not as, you know, that honeymoon phase anymore. It was different this time. I, I you know, I had to face responsibilities as an older person and try to be more critical about what it means to be a foreigner in a, in a, you know, in a developing country and what it entails. and the diversity and challenges of being away from home, from your identity, from, you know, um, you're not able to speak your language anymore and all that. So it's been an eventful, eventful experience as a duck, I can say. So how do you think that your identity has changed from Brazil to here? Here in the U.S., I think I've acquired um, a global citizenship that I never thought that existed before in Brazil. Even though I was, you know, always interested in learning more about other things, you just cannot learn if you don't experience that through people, right? right? So when I came as a as a U of O student, I met people from Pakistan, from Chile, from, you know, South Africa, from France, and we would do the same weird things that all freshmen do, <laughs> and we would be so like connected. We found the, our community, and so that type of connection I would never be able to find in Brazil, and. This is something actually I hope to change in the future, like how we can not only internationalize our country, but make people more conscious about other cultures and other ways of thinking. Right, just integrate it. Exactly. Yeah. Considering that we're all, you know, highly connected nowadays with social media and all that. So I know that when Tallahassee Coast was here, he, or you got to talk to him, right, about um, race and just everything. Can you kind of talk about what you talked to him about? Because I think that's super fascinating. Sure. So when Tanahasi Coates came to the University of Oregon, I was kind of nervous to talk to him because I had read his book and it was a hard book. Um, a lot of emotions and a lot of pain, you know, through the pages that we could experience just as readers. And I've always, I, 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 race is something that has always struck me as a foreigner in the U.S. because I just don't get it, like how people look at race here in this country. And, but I mean, as a foreigner, this is a great opportunity to learn always. So even though I never really understood it, I was willing to learn more every day. So when he came, it was a nice opportunity to talk to him. And by talking to him, I said that it was really weird for me when people would refer me to me as a brown person, because I never really understood that concept as a brown guy, what I am. <laughs> you know, I've had people calling me, oh, are you an Arab because of the beard and all that? And I said, okay, whatever, I can be an Arab too. <laughs> You know, that I think that's one privilege that I have as a Brazilian because people will not pick on me. Oh, you have to look like that because you're Brazilian, considering we are such a multiracial country. 
with you know a lot of influence from all over the world due to immigration, colonialism, and all that. So I never really understood it. And when I when I told him that people here think say that I'm brown, it's weird for me because back home I'm white. <laughs> what I am then? <laughs> because you know I am half European in a way. You know I have an European last name. My family, like ev as everyone in Brazil, mo most people like we have European descendant, and so it was really tough for me to adjust to that mentality of what it means to be brown or white or whatever uh, label people can give me. But he told me that he was actually very surprised because it was like I never heard it before. Because you know, thinking that Brazil, Brazil was one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, place in the world where slavery happened with the, you know, like, so the legacy is still really strong in the culture and in the politics and the social aspects of, uh, like, across the country. So when I told him that, he was so surprised and he didn't know. And he said that if I had grown up in Baltimore, I would probably be perceived as black. And I was like, really? I would never, th you know, think that way. And so I don't know why in the U.S. people think about race so much. But they like to talk about, you know, uh, not from American or Asian, but they don't really have a black American friend. They don't really have an, an Asian friend. And they like to talk about the other as they were something that's not part of the default. And this is something really hard for me to adjust. But I think the more I live here, the more uh, I, I think I try to learn and change, hopefully, for the better. For so, the sake of everyone. So growing up, was race just not really something that was like at the forefront of interactions? Nor, not where I grew up. I mean, I'm not saying that there is no racism in Brazil because there is a lot of racism against LGBT and then a lot of uh, other factors. But for me, race was never a thing. I think it would come down more to socioeconomic class. Yeah. So here at the UABO, for example, you see a student who's super rich hanging out with a student who's not so rich from Oregon and somebody who's from, you know, Southern California who have way more money and they still hang out, they take classes together. This doesn't happen in Brazil. If you're poor, you're going to be categorized, you're going to be ostracized as that group of people who won't be able to make it to universities or to, you know, higher levels of society. And when you do, you become, you know, you become news. You go on television as the girl that I mentioned about before. And so n right now, I think there's a strong movement where we're trying to incorporate those type of people, um, you know, from underrepresented backgrounds into higher levels of participation in democracy and, and all that in Brazil. But it's a starting now. It's a movement that's starting now, and I'm hopeful about. But yeah, like it was just hard. Um, so I would, I, th I think that in Brazil would come down to to more socioeconomic class than race itself as a concept. Even though race still plays a big role, you're going to see a lot of, if you go to slums in Brazil, most people will be, as we call moreno, or like, kind of like brownish, kind of like dark. But we won't say the word brown. Just We, won't, we just won't say it. Because the spectrum from white to black is way more complex in Brazil than here. Here's just like, I'm black, apparently. Now in Baltimore, <laughs> I'm black. So, like, if, if you were to look at the, you know, into the spectrum of what race means in Brazil, it's just completely different. I think that the socioeconomic class would play, a, you know, a more important role in how you perceive the other, as I would say before. Interesting. So, so then institutional racism isn't super prevalent in Brazil, then, if race isn't, if it's more a socioeconomic thing. So... 
I think it's hard not to say that it is not because it is in a way, because it's like different layers of racism, right. I would say. So there is a lot of, you know, racism, you know, regarding skin color. But on top of that, the socioeconomic class would be the driving force for right. that type of race. And then it's weird because I cannot speak on behalf of everyone because, as I said before, I'm not a racial minority in Brazil. Here, apparently, I am. I am brown. I'm a foreigner. I'm a Latina, which is a hard concept for me to <laughs> to, to understand also. But... Um, that, 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 that it's just really hard um, to, to understand how racism works across different cultures. Maybe because I grew up in the countryside, I didn't experience much racism, but maybe if my family had grown up maybe in, in a larger city, maybe the, the, those inequalities um, like more prominent, I think. Yeah, um, and I saw something the other day, I think you wrote on Facebook about how you've experienced like microaggressions here at U of O. Um, can you kind of like, talk about what that's like to, I mean, I've, like going somewhere else in a new culture is hard enough, but what's it like to experience um, microaggressions, especially from your peers and your I classroom? think I might be actually a, appropriate, I, I might appropriate that term a little bit because I had <laughs> never heard of microaggression before, so this is something <laughs> I learned in the past year. But here at the UVO, UVO I feel that people are just not culturally aware. They're not aware that there's a whole world out of the United States that <laughs> not everyone speaks English and not everyone eats peanut butter. <laughs> so like when I, w when I first heard microaggression, I didn't understand, right? I was like, what is that? Then I could see those microaggressions happening with my friends, mostly my female friends who are Muslims or who are from countries such as Pakistan or India or you know, Singapore, and people would have assumptions. And I think assumption leads to microaggressions and leads to racism and leads to suffering because you're making the assumption about someone but you're not really interacting with them you're not really asking them a question which turns out to be problematic because you if you, make, if you everyone makes the assumption that I like soccer because I'm from Brazil they will be completely wrong because I hate it <laughs> unless it's during the World Cup even though I know we're gonna lose again but um, I mean that's what I'm talking about like so it, it doesn't really bother me that much, I think. But it bothers me when I see microaggressions happening to people that I care or people that I identify with. Yeah. And then I see that happening not only between students, but also between faculty and student body, which is really, really, I don't want to, I cannot say bad words on the radio, but <laughs> it's inappropriate because you see how come a person who's educated, who has a PhD, who has traveled the world, has so many bad assumptions about someone just based on the fact, you know, on, on their place of origin or things like that. So I've had people here at the UFO, you know, telling me that my English was not good enough or that... I like my writing skill like my English skills would be determinant to talk about my intellectual skills. And I think it's just it's hard for them to understand how hard it is for us to learn English and how English it kinda like destroys our brain so that we can recreate ourselves in different ways. And I think that that's how identity is related, you know, because I think there's a strong relationship between language and how you identify yourself and how you perceive the world around you. But yeah, I've seen that happening, or people making assumptions. Oh, you're a Muslim. Like, where is your scarf? You know, from uh, you know towards my female friends, and then I just that that just like pissed me off so much. Just such yeah. major generalizations. Yeah, all the time. E exactly. And people, okay, here's the thing that all my international friends, 
we share in common, like this belief. I don't get why people fear here. Maybe it's a thing about our generation because I don't live in Brazil anymore. So maybe it happens there too. Maybe it happens all over the world. But people fear talking to each other. They fear getting to know you. You know, the breaking the barrier of because I'm a foreigner, I have an accent, I'm weird. I know I'm weird. I can be a little bit weird, <laughs> but like being weird is not it's not something bad. You and know? we're all weird. And we're all we're weird. All and let's so be weird, weird together because it's really cool to be weird. But once you're weird, but you're not willing to say, hey, how are you? I want to know you know, more about you or more, more about who you are, where you come from, your dreams, your fears. And then you identify that common aspect that we talked in our class, Lynn and yeah. I took a class together on the rhetoric of race. Uh, and we learned about that, how we can find a common ground, you know, like through empathy and compassion and all that. I think we, if we want to change the world, I think we need to change how we like build a relationship and community with yeah, other and people. and talk to each other. And yeah. talk to each other. Even Just though get to know the other person rather than making them out to be like this other vilified human being because it's like we're all the same. Absolutely, know? absolutely. Do you feel like um, being at U of O, like there's a big divide between international students and uh, like Oregon students here? Do you feel like there's like, um, like there's not as much connection as there should be? Because sometimes I feel like it's two very separate groups, you know, and I, like, I really want them to come together. I think so, but it's not a thing. It's not only at the U of O. It's True. everywhere across True. the country. So, okay, here's an example. If you go abroad and you find a, a group of people who are also abroad, you're going to find things in common. Yeah. Maybe homesickness, you know, um, things like that. So here at the, U of o, at the U of O, I feel that people... They, as I said before, they fear talking to to each other um, if you're different, if you're not part of the default. That's why diversity is really important. But at the same time, international students need to be engaged in getting to know the local culture. You know, we there's a reason why we came here. Uh, you know, we want to have a world class, you know, experience at the university. We want to, you know, become a global citizen. So we have to step out of our comfort zones as well. But it's really overwhelming for international students. Like it's really weird. For example, when we have a discussion or a seminar and students talk to professors like so much in class and it's something weird for us because we grew up in you know in the global south with one right answer that fits all questions and so for us it's different like we encourage you to speak up in class here while back home or maybe in China and other countries you have to listen to the professors you know and so recently I was in the UK and I heard English people saying, oh, Americans love to talk about themselves. <laughs> this is something true, like, because, you know, there's so much that we can talk, but it's not something necessarily bad. As long as you know how to convey your rhetoric and you're able to build community from that, I think that's a good thing. And then, as I said, like, I think the human cultures are just different ways of expressing understanding, like, the universe or, like, why, why we exist. That is just hard to say, oh, this is something bad. There will be good things and bad things about every culture, depend like through the lens of well, how you analyze it or the angle you look at it. But once you step out of your comfort zone and get to know all this, you know, multicultural universe, you can say, huh, there's something about that culture that I really enjoy. There's something about that I want to avoid. And then using all what you learn, you can kind of create a, like a th an idea of a third space where like you can rebuild your, your personality or your values using, you know, picking different things from different places. And I think that's really cool. And I wish everyone could do that, too. But you can, you can only do that, I think, probably through, you know, three things. Reading, maybe. I think that can improve that type of literacy about the world or by making friends who come from different places or by traveling. 
But when I say traveling, I don't mean going to Paris and staying Hilton, you know, <laughs> like across, you know, the Eiffel Tower, but like really experience the culture and doing things. Like live it. Live it. Yeah. And then, I mean, just, I don't know, just like experience new things. It's so interesting, regardless of how rich you are, how, you know, how privileged you are. This is another word that I never used before. Privilege. It was really <laughs> weird to come here and talk about privilege all the time. Um, so if you have the privilege, <laughs> just do it. Just you can do it. Well, you guys we are lucky because you're actually given the opportunity or like forced to get out of your comfort zones. Whereas people who just, you know, stay in Oregon, never leave Oregon. They're and again, like you don't have to leave the country to experience different things. Like you yeah. are at the U of O. It's such a you know, multicultural so global right. campus. So right. um, I don't know. I think I think it's just like how we we feel threatened. You know, the other would threaten us. Right. So we can't be part of that group. But once you travel and you have that like multicultural understanding of things, you just don't fear anymore. Like, honestly, I feel that when I was a freshman, I was really scared of everything. And now I don't fear anymore like certain things because you become stronger. And so you learn how to, you know, it's hard to be away from family and not speak your language because that language is how, how you know, it shapes who you are. Yeah. So if you have to construct yourself in a different language, it's just crazy. And yeah. you speak like three languages, right? Yeah, I mean, I speak fluently only English and Portuguese, but I can speak French and Spanish as well. Okay, so That's four awesome. languages. <laughs> um, so going back to Brazil, like how do you think, do you think your view of Brazil has changed or do you think how you are going to handle yourself is going to be different from before? Just what are the differences you I know, think once you go back? That's one of the hardest questions to answer at this point. Because I love my culture and I love, you know, the fact that I now can say that I, I understand what it means to be a Brazilian and the values that it carries. But it's hard to go back and be who I used to be. Oh, yeah. I feel that I, whenever I go home, I feel that I'm still the same young, you know. I still remember all my childhood memories and all that. I can talk to my parents and my loved ones in Portuguese, but I won't be, I won't be able to go back to who I was before. And then that's you know, amazing and scary at the same time. Yeah. Because it's like it's like you are finding yourself in the future. Right. You know, I, I, I when I go home I I love being at home and I love, you know, exploring new things from a different perspective, but I won't fit in as I used to anymore. Because that you know, you I can't just share things that I experience here to my friends in Brazil because they won't understand. Some of them never really met a foreigner before. Some of them don't speak in another language. Some of them never been to the airport. But they have other values that I don't find here, on the other hand. You know, the feeling of being at home and speaking your language and being with your your, your loved ones. And so I'm kind of like in that weird limbo where I don't know what to do next. You know, I'm graduating next year and I'm thinking about grad school or going back to Brazil. And in both situations, I will be happy and sad so I think I don't know how we'll continue life yeah. after college but it's just interesting to think how you know my understanding of what it means to be Brazilian has changed completely since I left it and and so one of the reasons of why I want to go back is that I feel that my impact back home will be stronger than here because here I will be just one more mm -hmm. but maybe they need me back home and they don't need me here and so, but at the same time, I, I think about, you know, stability and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard. Yeah. 
Well, and you have such a tie to Brazil, obviously, so you might have even more motivation to yeah, do whatever I, there, you know? And then I think that our generation is like, if, if we have the privilege, in, you know, if we are privileged enough to travel and experience all these cool things, I think we are able to connect and forge connection between people and travel back and forth. And I think this is what fascinates me about, you know, our generation, despite of all the bad problems that we also bring. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This is Layla Kanan. Thanks for listening to KWVA International Perspectives on Arts and Culture. Have a good night. Would it be crazy if you just stopped everything, packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To build libraries and fill them with stories? Prepare a meal with food you helped grow? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov.